Blog Talk Radio. All right. Good morning. Good morning. So good to see you. All right. Still, they was freezing when I took them. Well, they say they say cold hands, warm heart. Yeah. You cold hearted? <laughs> well, I won't tell nobody that. I won't tell nobody that. Oh, yes. Absolutely. All right, good morning. Let's take us a songbook. Let's pull it out and let's turn to number 40 and stand together. Let's sing this morning, Are You Washed in the Blood? Number 40. Push that Be washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
there's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. All be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Amen. That's really all that matters is if your garments are spotless. Amen. Praise God, mine are, and it ain't got nothing to do with me. Amen. I've never been able to keep nothing clean. That's ask my mama. Amen. <laughs> she washed my clothes. Amen. I, I Listen, I ain't never been able to keep nothing clean. I can get dirtier quicker. And my daddy always told me, you get dirty anywhere. Amen. I mean, I, I could. I, and thank God for the blood of Jesus. It keeps me clean. Hallelujah. You know what? You can get dirty anywhere in this world. Did you know that? You need Jesus more than you even think, more than you realize, praise God. I'm so thankful to have a Savior in 2023, aren't you? Hallelujah. This old wicked world we're living in, thank God we got a Savior. Amen. It's good to be in church this morning. Amen. We need to be in prayer for Israel. They they uh, invaded uh, Hamas with ground troops last night. Don't know anything this morning how anything's going over there, but I'm telling you right now, we're almost going to wind up in World War III if we're not careful. And we need to be in prayer. We're talking about praying. We need to be in prayer for our country. We need to be in prayer for this world. I tell you, it's 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 really not to be scared of because the Bible tells us, what does it say? There's going to be wars and what? Rumors of wars? We're there, y'all. Y'all realize we're in the birth pains. This thing's beginning to kick off. And it won't be long till the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to see our Savior face to face. It's not going to be long, y'all. I'm telling you, it can't, it can't go much longer. I was, watching a, I was watching a video this morning of some children in a school in Israel, and there were religious leaders come in. They were talking to them, and they asked them. They said, uh, they said uh, when, when do you think that the temple will be rebuilt? Asked these children. They said, in the next few years. And they they said, uh, what do you think will happen? So what's what's there, what's where the temple is now? And they said the mosque or whatever. And they said, what do you think will happen to it? They said it'll it'll be destroyed, it'll blow up or just disappear. And um, and anyway, and they were and they were talking about you know when's all this going to happen when Messiah comes? Well, they're talking about the Antichrist again. But they're ready. They are expecting. They're talking about. It. They're ready to do it. And and, and it's and it they they when when they start sacrificing again. The, the tribulation is is begun, so they're not far from there. They got the red heifer, and, and by this next year, it'll be ready uh, for for sacrifice. So we're very we're in the last probably in the last year of this age of grace. I can't pinpoint a day, and I'm not going to try. But I, I just I'm just telling you, I want you to be spiritually aware that you are in the last short little window of this age of grace. And I say that this morning to encourage you. To make use of your time, to uh, to have people on your heart that you need to be a witness to, and uh, we need to be missionaries to those around us because if not, they're going to have an eternal uh, eternal punishment waiting ahead for them, and we don't want to see them go through that. So I want to encourage you to be a witness. Let your let your let your let your light shine. Amen. Let Christ be felt by others around you. Pray, a prayer request this morning. Do we have any? Miss Charlotte. Pray for Pam. Pray for Pam White. Okay. Others this morning, prayer request.
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. It's good to have you in church, brother. We've been praying and praying and praying, and it's so it's so good to see that that God is as God is getting you better and you get your strength back, and we're excited about it, brother. And I just want to praise the Lord for you. Amen. Others this morning, prayer request. Brother Dan? Yeah, I can tell you, you're struggling this morning. Praying for you and Sister Anya. Others this morning? Yes. Who? I got your unspoken, Mary. Yeah. Right. All right. Lord knows right where he's at. Knows all about that situation. I know the Lord's laid two or three things across my path just in the last two, just last couple of days, and I can't think of all of them. But God knows what they are, and I'm sure that's the case with you. How many of you say I got things on my heart that I can't remember all right now? Hey, but you know what? God knows all that. So let's take all that. God knows all our faults and our failures. Let's just put all of them in one wagon and say, God, we're giving it to you. And, Lord, we're asking you to deal with it this morning. Are there any others before we go to the Lord in prayer? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Robert, lead us. Amen. You can be seated. that was 241 241 grace greater than our sin praise god hallelujah let's all sing this morning marvelous grace of our loving lord grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt yonder on calvary's mouth outboard Thread the soul with its 
Revealing Jesus through the 
they confiding in his great love. From all harm's place, it is sheltering on. I'm living my faith and feel no love, Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to be in church this morning. I thought about singing, but you know, I gotta—I don't want to go lengthy on this message this morning, so I'll forego. So I'm gonna sing tonight. I'm going over to this evening. I'm going over to uh, Spring Lake Baptist in Paris. My my buddy, brother Mike Clark, pastor over there, he asked me to come over and sing a little. They're having a singing this afternoon, so you're welcome to come if you want to go. The uh, five o'clock over at Spring Lake Baptist in Paris. They do it every fifth Sunday, though I think. Uh, but anyway, this, we're, this morning, this morning we are. I told you this in Sunday school that I had planned to go into Second Corinthians, but I'm not going into Second Corinthians. Uh, we are going into Galatians, and I mentioned. I, I, and what I'm doing here, I'm going through the epistles of Paul. I'm trying to go through them in the order that they were written. Problem is, if you ask 10 Bible scholars, you're going to get 10 different timelines. So I was talking to a preacher friend of mine last night, and me and him like got in a fuss over where when when this book was written. Of course, it wasn't a fuss. It was just, you know, he'd, he'd heard different than I had, and he'd heard a different a different set of uh, a different story on it. So it really doesn't matter, honestly. It, it's all good. It's all the Word of God, and we've been reading them in a different order all these years anyway, but I would like to get close as I can to it. And uh, and we're not going to try to pin down exactly when it was written, but we're going to go in order that we've got according to the list that I found and the one that I'm satisfied with, which puts Galatians right here. Amen? And uh, <clears throat> praise God, this is a wonderful book. And Galatians, let me just read to you out of out of the little heading in my in my Bible above the book of Galatians. I'm going to give you just a piece of it. It said this book is a companion to Romans. Romans was written to show that in this age there's no difference between difference between Jew and Gentile and that a man is saved by grace through faith plus nothing. Nothing as in no baptism, no sacraments, no church membership, no ordinances, no priest, no high priest, but Jesus Christ, no baby sprinkling, no rosaries, no beads, no candles, no mariolatry, no using statues as aids to worship, no trips to Mecca, no observances of Ramadan, no observances of Easter or Christmas, no church attendance, no good works, no Ten Commandments, no Sermon on the Mount, and no character. It ain't got nothing to do with any of that. It's all based on Jesus and what he did. Amen? Galatians was written to prove that a saved sinner is kept by grace through faith. The constant theme of Galatians is that after you are saved, you do nothing to stay saved. Although it is apparent from the material in Galatians 5, and we've read this already and I've preached this already, that you'd better be mighty careful how you live, that this is not for the sake of getting to heaven, but for the sake of staying in good health, living a long life, and bearing fruit for the Lord. But we'll look at that in chapter 5 and 6. So let's get into it this morning. <clears throat> Turn there, if you hadn't already, to Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into this message this morning. And, I want to, and I'm going to 
I'm going to try to answer Robert's prayer this morning that they, that this makes sense to everybody. Amen. He always prayed, don't let it all fall on deaf ears. Amen. I hope your ears ain't deaf this morning. This is simple stuff. Break it down just as simple as I can. I want, I'm not trying to impress you with some new something you've ever heard before. I just want to go through what we know, and I want to make it as plain as we can so that it's crystal clear to us. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask God to, to, to well, I, let's just read first, and then we'll pray. Uh, beginning verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and the God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might <coughs> deliver us from the sin, I'm sorry, from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that has called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we said before, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And let's go to the Lord this morning in a word of prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you for the word of God this morning. Lord, I'm thankful that you are a merciful God. Thankful, Lord, that you do not deal with us after our sins. Thankful that grace is abundant and free. Thankful that anybody, any soul who comes to the knowledge of their sin and comes to the awareness of the Savior can come and be born again by faith in him. And Lord, this morning, help me to preach. I want to be of clear words and easy to be understood. Lord, that both those that are here and both those that are listening and those that will listen later can glean the truth very easily from this message. Lord, help me to preach in a manner that's easy to be understood. And we'll give you the glory for it. And we'll praise your name for it because you made all this so simple by doing what you did on the cross and by being raised from the dead. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that you are our Lord and Savior. Thank you that you love us the way you do. And we'll give you glory and praise for it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Let's jump right into it. Beginning there in verse 1. As Paul always introduces his letters, an apostle. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So Paul, Paul usually starts off every epistle with this statement. And, and the reason he does is he's, he wants to establish his credentials so that people will listen to him and obey him. Okay? He's, again, that's that's the reason. He's like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm an apostle of the Lord, so you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. His goal is, uh, uh, you know, his his motivation, Let me, sh- I should say, his motivation for making that kind of statement is, is significant. You know, some people talk about their authority in order to demand obedience from somebody. you got to obey me because of who I am. Or they, they increase their own stature in people's eyes, their own importance, and their own power. That's what they want to do. They want to make you feel like I'm important and powerful, so you've got to do what I say. But that's not what Paul was doing here. 
uh, if you look at Paul's life and his whole life and his service, Paul was not about doing that. We talked about that in Sunday school, about people who make themselves rich off the ministry. And that, that was not Paul at all. He was not trying to do that. Occasionally, he, he brought attention to his position for the purpose of what? Encouraging people to do what they were supposed to do. So he told them, listen, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I have been with him. I know what he said. I know what he did. And I'm able to communicate that truth clearly to you. That's the whole point of him giving this. Amen. And later on in the book, he's going he's gonna to spend more time even on this issue. But, but he, he goes on to great lengths to defend his apostleship and the authority that goes along with his apostleship. And the reason he does that is, is so that there were, there were Judaizers who were coming up from Jerusalem, and they're entering into these churches of Galatia, and they're misleading people by preaching a false gospel. Now, let me just say something about the book of Galatians. This is different than the book of Corinthians. You say, how is it different? Well, there was no church of Galatians. There was no church of Galatia. There were churches of Galatia. So this letter would have been written probably to uh, Iconium, Derby. Uh, uh, there's another one up in there I'm trying to remember. But anyway, there were a group of churches there together, okay? And so this, this, this letter goes to all of them. So anyway, again, you've got people that are coming up. Who are, who are entering into these churches, they're trying to preach a false gospel to people. And, and one, way that they, one way that they attacked was they would come in, and first thing they would do, they'd start attacking the, the Apostle Paul's credentials. They, they'd try to discredit him, first of all. And if they could, they could convince people that they didn't need to listen to Paul's teachings, then they wouldn't, they wouldn't pay no attention to the gospel that he preached. So they wanted to get the they wanted to discredit the gospel so that people would believe them and what they were saying. So <clears throat> what I what I get from this is look here. What we ought to do in our life, everything we do, everything we do ought to be in support of the gospel. Every and I and like I said, everything you do may not be preaching the gospel, but nothing you do should be against the gospel. Everything you do in your life ought to be in support and for the sake of the gospel. Amen? It, you know, again, when it comes to the way you live your life, the way you talk, the things you spend your money on, the places you go, all those things should be positive toward the gospel and not negative against the gospel. Our motivation in life should be the well-being of others, not the exaltation of ourself. That's what's wrong in today's world. People are so self-centered and so self-focused that we forgot there are other people around that need help. We forgot there are other people around that need that need the Lord, who's struggling, whose lives are dwindling. While we sit and make enrich ourselves, we, we've got people around us who are suffering. And I'm not just trying to be a bleeding heart humanitarian. I'm saying there are people spiritually who are dying around us, and while while we're happy and satisfied, and uh, and Paul wasn't sitting back in Jerusalem happy and satisfied. He knew there were people out there that were hungry for Jesus, and he went to them, and he was doing everything he could to get it to them. But he said, I'm an apostle, and he says the next thing he said, he said, it wasn't of men. Not of man, neither by men. So what is he saying? He said, listen, I was not sent by anybody. I was sent by Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ sent me here to you. Amen? Uh, listen, authority. He's not saying, I'm, I'm not coming down here based on what Peter, James, and John told me to do. 
They didn't call me. When he was on his donkey riding to Damascus, Peter, James, and John were in Jerusalem, and they had nothing to do with it. Amen? It was the Lord that shined the light from heaven. It was the Lord that knocked him down from his mount. It was the Lord who spoke to him. Amen? It was the Lord that put the scales on his eyes. It was the Lord who did all that. The Lord called him. The Lord spoke to him and revealed himself to Paul. Amen? So, again, his authority didn't come from men. And his message didn't come from men. Amen? He didn't get it from the disciples. He didn't go to the apostles and ask them questions and learn from them. No, the Bible's going to tell us and tell us a little bit later on in, in the chapter that Paul was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, he went, he went off into Arabia, the Bible said, and he spent time with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who taught him himself. All right? They need to listen to him because why? Because he is Jesus' representative. That's why we need to listen to Paul because he is the apostle of the Gentiles. He's our apostle. We are to listen and take take instruction from him. And to reject Paul is the equivalent of rejecting Jesus because Jesus sent Paul to us to tell us what he said. <clears throat> Amen. Verse two through five. Look at it. And all the brethren which are with me. Under the churches of Galatia, there's plural churches there, see? Great, and all the brethren that are with me, and, we, and we're not going to cover all that, but well, let me just let me just hit on that. I, I think Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, Sosipater, and there's a few others that are mentioned in Acts that were with him. That's who he's talking about. And, Tim, and Timothy, and I can't remember who else is with him, but anyway. Um Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's address that statement right there in verse 4. Amen. First of all, he always, in verse 3, he always, to every church, he this is his greeting, grace and peace, uh, charity and and, 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 and peace is what he's, he's praying for. He's praying that God's love will be shed abroad in the midst of them, and in God's love being shed abroad in the midst of them, they'll have God's peace. That's what he's praying. That's his wish for them. And that's coming, he says, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And again, that's, that's, that's one of Jesus' motivations in dying on the cross for us is to deliver us not just to heaven, but from this present evil world. He did it to rescue us specifically to save us from the evil of this world system and this world's culture. And you know, you know, people, you say, oh, it was so much better way back then. Paul said it was evil back then. We have this idea that if I lived in a different time, it would be better. We like to, we, we romance it. People say, oh, I wish I lived back in the cowboy and Indian days, man. I, I wish I was riding, across, uh, riding a horse across the, 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 the west and, man, just exploring new lands. You get killed pretty easy doing that kind of thing. Somebody didn't like you or somebody wanted what you had. They just shoot you dead and take it. It wasn't an easy life back then. People had it hard, amen. You ever see pictures of people back in, in the old days out in West Texas during the dust storms trying to make it, living in some little 
shotgun shack, woman standing in the doorway, skinny as a rail because she ain't got nothing to eat. I mean, I've seen a lot of pictures of starving kids. It was hard back in time in America, but back over there, amen, it was real hard back there. It was real hard. You didn't have the kind of liberty and freedoms of society we have today. They were living in a whole different economy, a whole different setup, and it was an evil world that Paul said. It was a present evil world. And listen, Christ saves us, not again, not just to take us to heaven, but we you don't have salvation then when you go. You have salvation now. Amen. He he died, listen, he died to save us from the penalty of sin. And we are saved from the penalty of sin. He died to save us from the power of sin. So that it would not be our taskmaster any longer. So it would not have dominion over us and control our lives. And someday soon, we'll leave here and we'll be saved from the presence of sin. But sin ought not have dominion over us now. Amen? It ought not. And He trans- Christ transforms us so that we're no longer to give in to the temptations of the culture and our peers. What, what, and what are the temptations of this age that we live in? Well, materialism is one of them. People just want stuff, stuff, stuff. We got stuff piled up in storage rooms and stuff that's rotten and stuff that's tore up that we hang on to because we don't want I'm, I'm a hoarder. I ain't going to lie to you. I'm preaching myself. Got one finger pointed forward, and I got about 15 pointed back at me. I'm terrible, amen? I hang on to stuff long after it should have been got rid of, and I can't help it. I just That's the way I am. I keep stuff. Reminds me of people and things, and I know it don't mean nothing no more, but I still keep it for some reason. <laughs> Amen. But all that stuff, and but it's not just keeping stuff. Some people can't quit buying stuff. Now, I don't think keeping stuff near as bad as buying stuff, because when you keep your stuff, you ain't got to pay for it again, and it's already paid for. But people, some people, some people wear Amazon out. I mean, I think some people got two foot deep ruts in their driveway where the Amazon truck been coming in and out every day. Amen. And they got more cardboard boxes and Carter's got liver fields. They don't know what to do with them all because they can't burn them because there's a burn ban on them. Amen. But listen, I'll tell you right now, uh, materialism will eat you lunch. And it'll sure keep you, hey, it'll keep you from doing anything in the work of God because you spend all your money on stuff. You can't help no missionaries. You can't give help your church because you're too busy buying stuff. And I'm going to tell you something, and I know you know this, but there ain't there ain't no hearses with U-Hauls behind them. You can't take that stuff with you. You say, well, I'll enjoy it while I'm here. Well, there's nothing wrong with having what you need, but you don't need more than you need. Because if you get more than you need, you're just piling stuff up to have stuff and say, look at what all I got. That ain't godly. Competing with the fellow next door to see who's got the nicest and the biggest and the best is not godliness. Amen. Some people equate that. I said Wednesday night. I think it was Wednesday night. Talking about this preacher. Yeah, it's this one of these TV preachers. I seen him on the internet. He was talking to somebody, and he's talking about how, how he loved money. He loved money so much. He said, he said, man, ain't nothing in this world prettier than a hundred dollar bill. He said, a hundred dollar bill is prettier than most women. That's what the TV preacher said. I can't think of his name. I wish I could call his name. He do, he does that uh, camp meeting on uh, on the cable actually, only on the on the on the satellite. It's a show called Camp Meeting. I can't remember his name. He wears a beard. Uh, but anyway. But materialism, it it, it 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 drives. I mean, you you, you realize, <clears throat> you got to realize the evil of it. And I don't want to go see it on this, but but you understand, we we know we know that cancer there've been cancer cures. We know that, right? Okay, but why do they suppress that? Why do they end up killing somebody every time they come up with a cure? Because there's money to be made. 
of people being sick. So they'd rather they'd rather have people suffering everywhere and money, 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 money being made and, and, and drugs being produced and, 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 and charged exorbitant amounts for fleecing everybody over sickness. That's greed. That's materialism. That's one of the evils of this age. Again, the whole COVID-19 thing, all that was contrived. All that was a money-making scheme. All that was about control, power, and money. And I don't care if you agree with that or not. That's the truth, and the facts are out to prove it. Amen? So, I mean, the truth is the truth. And, and, and listen, what drives that again? Materialism, evil, money, power. What is wars fought for? It's all about money. War is not about right and wrong. War is about we want this, we want that, we want your stuff. And what else? What else is eating this world alive? I tell you what else is eating this world alive, the pursuit of pleasure. People forget about God, and they're just trying to soothe their own, their own desire, carnal desires, and, and people do whatever they want to do, and they, have, they think of no consequences whatsoever for their actions. The pursuit of pleasure. And that, and that goes right into the third thing, which is hedonism, which is I'll do whatever I want to do as long as it makes me feel good. Hedonism. Some people call it sun worship, but it's not all it entails. It's, it's giving in to whatever carnal desires you have in order to satisfy yourself. And, that, and that's, this world is doing that right and left. That's why people can't figure out what they want to be, and they're mad at God because they think he made them the wrong thing, so I'll just cut this off or I'll add that or, or whatever I need to do to make myself happy. It's all about happy. Do you know how happy is conditional? Happy ain't got nothing to do. With, with anything, happy has to do with something outside of you, not with something inside of you. Happiness don't come from outside. Happiness is conditional. It comes from you. You make me happy or you make me sad, but my joy comes from within. My joy don't come from outside. It comes from the inside, from knowing Christ. And when you have Christ, you don't need all that stuff from the outside to soothe you. Amen? And then pride is the, last, is the third one that I want, or the fourth one I want to bring up because, again, pride is, is, is what keeps people from coming to God. Pride is what keeps people from living for God. Because we think we know more. We think, you know, if, if, or I don't want other people to see me humble myself. Good night. What would they think of me? Pride keeps somebody from being what God wants them to be. So that this world is eat up with that now. This world was eat up with that then. <clears throat> let's just let's just play a game this morning. Let's imagine for a minute. We used to have kids. We, we play like. Let's all play like. Let's play like we're on the Titanic this morning. Okay, we all sail into America on the Titanic. Everybody's happy as a clam, sitting on a deck, just eating oysters and, and crackers and listening to the band play. Amen. We're just having a big time, and 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 boy, all of a sudden that thing hits the iceberg and it's tilting up, and we know we're going we're going down, and uh, <clears throat> off we go into the freezing water. And I don't know if you know how cold that was, but I, I visited one of the museums up at Branson, Missouri where they had you put your hand in water that's the same temperature as the water outside, and it, it was it was salt water, so it's colder than you actually think it is. And, boy, you can't have your fingers in there for just a few seconds. It's like, my hand hurts. And you imagine your whole body floating in that. All right? So you're floating in that freezing water, and there ain't no land nowhere, and, and you know you need help, and you need help fast because this is getting worse at the se- by second. And at that moment, somebody comes by in a boat, and they pull you up out of the water and get you over into the boat, and they throw a warm blanket over the top of you, and you're sitting there warming up in the boat, and then all of a sudden you decide you missed the cold water, and you throw your blanket off and you jump back in the water. 
and dumb is that? That's exactly what you and I do after we get saved. And we decide we want to go back and live like we used to. That's exactly what we're doing. We're succumbing. We jump back in and succumb to the temptations of the world. Don't make no sense at all. But yet people do it time and time and time and time again. Let Jesus rescue you from the evils of this present age. Don't let it pull you under. Don't let it take you away from God. Amen? Let's find our joy, our meaning, and our purpose in Him and not in this world around us which has nothing for us and has nothing for us and will never have anything for us. The Bible says, to whom be glory forever and ever. And that attitude, God deserves glory forever and ever. That ought to be reflected in every single thing that we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our life should be a flashing neon sign, Jesus saved me, and I never got over it. Amen. Verse 6, Paul said, I marvel. I marvel that you're, that means I'm amazed, I'm blown away, that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So Paul goes through his introduction, he gets through his greeting, and man, he cuts right to the quick. He goes right to the point. Hey, it's good to see y'all. God bless you. Grace and peace. peace. Now, what in the world happened? That's what he did. What in the world is wrong with (laughs) y'all? Amen? He said, I'm I'm a marvel. I can't believe it. He goes right to the issue that caused him to write this letter. Amen. It's good not to beat around the bush. It's good to cut to the chase. He starts refuting the Judaizers. And this is one of his biggest challenges. It's one of the biggest challenges of the early church. Many Jews taught that the law of Moses still had to be imposed upon new believers. Again, again, they believed you get saved, you've got to live like Jews live. You've got to do what Jews do to be saved. Let me read to you. And certain men came down from Judea, uh, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, in other words, Paul and Barnabas blew up. Paul and Barnabas, well, they were in a shouting match, fingers pointing in each other's chest. I mean, hot breath in each other's faces, that kind of thing. There was no small disputation and dissension with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, in other words, church paid for it, took care of it. They passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And people were glad to hear people were getting saved, and that's great. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church, the church at Jerusalem, and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So essentially, they're teaching 
that somebody had to become a Jew first. And then, once they had become a Jew, then they could transition into being a Christian. And they the one thing wrong with that. It ain't biblical. It's works-oriented. And is the gospel works-oriented? Not of works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. <clears throat> so you can see why Paul got all hot under the collar and opposed to a works-oriented gospel message and he did it through his strong words and in and, and, and the depth of his emotion here. I mean, he, he was not happy at all. In verse 6, he emphasizes the grace of God. Salvation is by grace through faith. And that sentence sums up the core of the gospel message. It's by grace through faith. Again, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that calls you into the grace of Christ. Any person, anywhere, teaching that work, any kind of work, I don't care what you what you put with it, any kind of work is necessary for salvation is a false teacher. Anybody. I don't care what the, I don't care what church they're in. I don't care what they're teaching. If it's anything other than grace, free and full and free, then they're teaching a lie. And Galatians is a very important letter because it reminds us of the true gospel, which centers on God's grace and not on man's works at all. Verse 7 says, which is not another. He said it's a gospel, but it's not another. It means it's not the same kind. It's not the same thing. Amen? But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. You know, we learned this real early on. As a matter of fact, I did. I started watching Sesame Street when I was a little kid. And I'm not bragging on Sesame Street because we know as much sodomite playing that thing, but they were... But there were some songs in there that I stuck with me through the years. And one of them was, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. Can you tell which one is not like the other? By the time I finish this song. Y'all remember that, don't you? Right? Okay. Well, you know what? Salvation by works and salvation by grace is not the same. Or they call them the same thing. It, you either, you're either saved by what Jesus did and only what Jesus did, or you're saved by what you did. It's as simple as that. There's no other way. I heard years ago when I first set out in the ministry that you could take you could take hundreds of thousands of, of, of spiritual teachers and preachers and, and from every religion on the on the face of the earth. You could put them in a big a big conference room and you could let them argue for a thousand years. And and when at the end of the thousand years came came uh, came to fruition and they and they were able to come out of that room after all these generations of people argue for thousands of years. When they came up, they'd only have one of two conclusions. Either God saved the man or man saved himself. Mm-hmm. There ain't no other. He said it's not another. It's not the same kind. It's not the same one. And this different gospel is, is already preached all around the world. It's preached in a lot of cultures, and it's preached in a lot of different religions. preached in a lot of different denominations in America, too. It emphasizes good works as necessary for salvation. And there's people all over the world that think their good works are going to bring them to God. The Muslim thinks if he kills he kills non-Muslims, that'll bring him to God. Amen. That's truth. They believe that. Thinking that your good works can somehow bring you to God is a perversion of the gospel. It's been perverted. Amen. It's not that, that messes it up where it's no good anymore. Uh, somebody said years ago, said, when it comes to salvation, 
the devil either wants you to stop too short of the cross or he wants you to go beyond it. Amen. To stop too short would be to say your works were somehow good enough to merit you going to heaven and going past it and saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I got to get baptized in order to be saved. But I got to speak in tongues in order to be saved. You missed it. And listen, today our world is full of false gospels. So many. I mean, I'm going to try to name some of them, but I probably probably won't, won't get it all right. But First of all, I heard him this morning. Uh, my wife was flipping through the channels, and I heard his voice this morning. There's the uh, therapeutic gospel. Y'all want to guess who that one is? Joe. He's, he's trying to help you. That's all. He's trying to help you be a better you. The, the, the therapeutic gospel. It teaches that sin robs us of our sense of fulfillment. That's what it's all about. See, we're not being fulfilled in this life. We need to be fulfilled. And sin is robbing us of that. And and, and Christ's death, he, they teach that Christ's death proves our worth as humans and gives us power to reach our full potential. Doesn't that sound wonderful? You know, these people at home says, yeah, yeah, that's what I need. But they don't realize that's not what Christ, why Christ came. He didn't come so you could reach your full potential. He he didn't come to give you a sense of worth, amen? Listen, he came to forgive you of your sins, amen? And, and all that church there is trying to do is get you to find some kind of temporal happiness. That's why Joel wrote that book, Your Best Life Now, because this life right here will be your best life if you follow him. Your second life's going to be hell if you follow him because he'll lead you right into it because he don't preach against sin, and he said so, amen? Then there's... Second of all, there's the formalist gospel. Formalist gospel. Now, you could call the Catholic Church formalists because they're definitely that. And there's a lot of the other uh, denominations that, that are close to the Catholic Church, the Anglican and the Episcopalian. There's some of them that are really high churchy and, and very formal. And, and, and sin in those churches is failing to keep the church rules and regulations. You've got to follow their, their, their laid out scheme of how things ought to be. And uh, and if you don't do it, then, then, of course, they'll kick you out because you don't follow their rules. And their rules take you away from the Word of God, by the way. But uh, but but Christ Christ didn't die for your sins necessarily. He died to give you an agenda. Begin to follow their prescribed version of Christianity. Stay away from that garbage. It's out of hell. Moralist gospel. There's a moralist gospel. A lot of Protestant denominations preach the moralist gospel. And uh, they they teach that our big problem is sins, plural, and not sin, nature. It's just little things that we do, not our not our our nature that's that's wicked and needs to be saved uh, and done away with, and a new nature brought into us by the Spirit of God. But they teach that the purpose of Christ's death is to give us a second chance and make us better people. That redemption comes through the exercise of willpower with God's help. In other words, I can clean my life up if God will help me. Can I tell you something? If you get out of God's way, God clean your life up. But as long as your hands are involved, you're going to mess it up. God doesn't need your help, or God would be writing words in here saying, help me fix you. And he didn't put that in there. Amen. He's going to do it, or it won't be done at all. Then we got the judgmentless gospel. That's a hard one. Judgmentless. <clears throat> That's a bloodless gospel. God's forgiveness does not need to come through the sacrifice of his sin, according to them. Judgment's more about God's goodness. 
not the need for human rebellion to be punished. And evangelism's not urgent at all. That's the feel goody church. That's the one where you just go you just go to you know, everybody everybody's welcome. You know, in, in big cities you have oh, what are they called? Uh uh Oh good Lord, it's the big churches, the it's the metropolitan churches, it's the one that are that are very trans and, and, and sodomite friendly. They don't judge anybody. You're welcome there. It doesn't make no difference what you've done. We're not going to talk about it, and we're not going to preach the blood, amen? They're just going to talk about feeling good. Uh, there's a social club gospel where everybody's good enough, amen? Salvation is all about finding fellowship and friendship at church, and the gospel is reduced to Christian relationships to help us enjoy life. It's all about It's all about people, and it ain't about Jesus. It's all about you having buddies at church and you having your little club. Then there's a the social gospel. The kingdom's advanced through our efforts to build it. A just society. Gospel's power demonstrated through cultural transformation. And the church is united around political causes and social projects. You know, sadly, a lot of the black churches have, have fallen into that trap. And they've got off into politics and they've left the gospel behind. Oh, there's a lot of good ones still left. But a lot of them, and there's a lot of, a lot of big white churches and other churches that have fallen in the same thing. Where it's all, you know, the government's really controlling their church. And then there's the churchless gospel. That don't even make sense, sound like it makes sense, does it? The churchless gospel. <clears throat> the focus of salvation is primarily on the individual in a way that makes the church secondary to God's purposes. The church is viewed as an option to personal spirituality or even an obstacle to Christ-likeness. That's when people say, I don't need to go to church, meet with God. I go out in the woods and meet with God. That's my church. I've met people like that. You know what? They don't go to church at all. They don't read their Bible at all. That's their excuse to you as to leave me alone and don't bother me about going to church. And then last, there's the mystic gospel. I think you could put all the charismatics involved in here. You could probably put a bunch of others in there. Salvation comes through an emotional experience with God. And the church is there to help me feel close to God by helping me along in my pursuit of a mythical, mystical union. Amen. Listen, God doesn't work like, like they teach. God doesn't teach you to fall down or flop around in your dress up over your head and have to put a sheet over you. That ain't the Bible. God don't want people at the altar howling and barking like dogs and getting into fits of holy laughter to where you can't control yourself. God wants you to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. And I said all that to bring us to this point. Satan is a master deceiver. He is a master deceiver, and he tries to twist everything that, that, that comes from the mouth of God. God says we have to believe in him. Satan says we have to do good works, which means to believe in and rely on yourself. And that's a failing proposition, my friend, telling them there's not two or more gospels. There's only one true gospel, and everything outside it is a lie. Everything else is a perversion. And we can't put up with lies and perversions when it comes to the Word of God. We ought not, and we must not allow them to infiltrate the church and lead people astray. Paul says that the gospel he preached is the gospel of Christ, and it is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. John the Baptist taught that we are saved by faith, not by works. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Jesus said in John 5, 24, 
Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And Jesus also taught that we're saved by faith, not by works. Jesus answered and said unto him, this is the work of God that you believe on him who has, he has sent. It, again, it's, it's by faith. It ain't by us working at all. In verse 8 in our passage this morning, he said, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have, we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now, let me tell you something. Paul is angry when he writes this. He ain't happy about it. He's angry about it. He's so angry. Listen, he wants to call a curse down from God upon those people that are teaching lies. He's saying, I wish them fellas would go to hell. I wish they'd burn in hell teaching you these lies. Now, why is he so angry? And is he right to feel angry like that? Is he right to want them cursed? I want you to imagine this morning a man who owns some cows. He's got maybe 10, 12 cows out in his pasture. And he wakes up one morning and finds one of them dead. Don't know what's wrong, but he tells something's wrong. Then a couple nights later, he wakes up the next morning and another one's dead. And it starts happening on a regular basis. And then one, one night he stays up a little late and he watches and there's a teenage boy slipping out in his pasture poisoning his cows. Now let me ask you a question. Would he be right to feel angry? I think so. Imagine a, a, a father who sends his child to school believing that his child's getting an education and then finds out that a teacher has been sexually abusing his child. Do you think that father has a right to feel angry? I think so too. But let's suppose that that father or that that father doesn't care or that owner of those cows doesn't care. Would we say that that's not a good father? That's not a that's not a, that's not a good animal uh, uh, uh not a good farmer or whatever. Would, would we say that about them? Would we say that they're not good? They're not good at their what they do? Well, of course we would. We say they're lousy. That's a lousy father. He don't care if his child's abused. That man don't care what happens to his cows. He ain't a very good he ain't a very good farmer. And I mean, at the very least, they're evil and they're selfish in heart. Why? Because they don't care about anything else. And Paul is angry because false teachers are coming in and misleading the sheep that he has led to Jesus and turning them away from the truth of God. And he's not going to stand by and just watch it happen. Of course, that might have been the easiest thing for him to do because it wouldn't have been any, it wouldn't have been any difficulty. Just stand by and just watch him go. So I'll go win some more somewhere else. But that's not what he did. Why? Because he cared about them and their souls. So he takes a stand. And he even hopes that God is going to punish these people for doing this. And I can understand where he's coming from. Man, it makes me mad. I've seen people, I've seen people get deceived and pulled out of church on me, and boy, it makes me so mad. I wish I could go grab whoever's doing it and just shake the living daylights out of them. I told you about walking across the yard over to Miss Maxfield's house across from our church when the Jehovah's Witnesses were knocking on her door and threatening their lives out there in their front yard. I told them, get out of here. I'm knocking them bushes. I was serious about it. I didn't want them pulling her away from God. I was trying to win her to Jesus. You know, and if somebody's messing with my kids, I'm going to tell you right now, they got a they got a grizzly bear on their hands they don't want. Amen. I can tell you right now, that's a monster nobody wants to fool with. 
And, and again, if somebody came, if somebody was messing with one of y'all and trying to pull you away from here and turn you away from God, I tell you what, you want to see somebody get aggravated and get mad. I definitely want something done. I definitely want. I, I wouldn't let it just keep going. Amen. And Paul knows if he lets this keep going, it's going to get worse. And Paul knows there's only one truth. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. There is none other, other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He knew that he's preaching the truth. So he knows that he can make bold statements like he made in verse 8, and there'd be no problem with it, because truth doesn't change based on who's speaking. If an angel taught a different gospel, Paul said, then that would be a fallen angel, and he shouldn't listen to it. Any teaching that disagrees with what Jesus revealed to Paul must be a lie, because God doesn't contradict himself. And the last verse, verse 9, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And in case anybody missed it, Paul repeats himself again. He feels strong about this issue, and you and I should too. I mean, it's just salvation we're talking about here. It's just heaven and hell we're talking about here. I mean, it does matter whether we believe right or not. It matters whether or not we preach the truth or not. I mean, it's it, eternal life or eternal death. It hinges on whether we tell the truth or not. So is it right to get dogmatic about this? You better believe it is. If you get dogmatic about anything, it better be about this. Is it all right to get to get upset when somebody contradicts this? Yes, it's all right to get contradictive about this because this matters more than anything else in this world. Now, there are two types of anger, though. I'm going to hit that before we're done. And, and we need to be careful that we understand what kind we're talking about. One anger is a selfish anger. And that one comes because somebody's done something to you, inconvenienced you in some way, and you don't like it, so you're mad about it. And, and the other one is a righteous anger. When you feel, and you feel this when you see people breaking God's law, or you see people harming others, or you see people contradicting what God has said. And while we ought to avoid the first type, because, you know what, we ought to take wrong. It ought, we ought not blow up about every little thing somebody does against us. Good night, we shouldn't. But when somebody is coming against God, God's people ought to stand up for it. Amen. There's a right, there's a right time to get angry. A person who doesn't ever get angry at sin and injustice suffers from a bad case of I just don't care. And God doesn't want us to be unconcerned about the world around us. So like Paul, sin should provoke a reaction from you. Just be sure to be angry and sin not, the Bible says. It's okay to feel it, but retaliation is not what God's asking us to do. So what what are the applications for us this morning? What can we do with what we learned this morning? Number one, we can stand boldly on truth. Not compromise. Don't give in. You clearly stand on the Word of God. You don't move. Amen? We're not to embrace relative truth. What I mean by that? If you if you if something's unclear in the Scripture, don't you stand up like you've got all the answers. If you don't know, keep your mouth shut. If it's something you're not sure about, it's better to do that than to 
found out something you don't know to be true. Amen. Uh, listen, but when it comes to what the fundamentals of the faith, we know these things to be. I know there's all kinds of ifs, ands, and buts about little things that are not essential in the Word of God, but are only essentials on salvation, matters of faith. Listen, there's there's no there's no muddiness, there's no gray area. It's black and white. It's crystal clear. <coughs> so we ought to boldly take a stand on the truth. Number two, we must take responsibility within our sphere of influence not to let false teaching creep in. I can tell you this morning, if we had a speaker in here who got up and spoke some false truth, and, I mean, told a flat lie from the pulpit, I'd stand up I'd stand up in the chair and say, hey, hey, uh-uh, that ain't right. Now, the Word of God says, I, I, I wouldn't let that keep going. You know, if, if I did that, if I... If I if if I permitted false teaching, man, I'd mess this church up. You couldn't have unity in here. Some people believe them, and some people believe what the Bible said. So we ought, we got to take a stand, and we need to take responsibility, and we should be angry when we see God's people going astray, being led astray by somebody else. So we need to do everything we can to keep that from happening, and if we see that happening, we ought to also study the Bible so we'll know when we hear false teaching. If you don't know what it says, you can't determine what's right and what's wrong. So study it for yourself so you know. Next, we must be very careful never to become a false teacher. Amen. We better be careful we study our Bible so we're not spouting something we heard from somebody, not sure whether or not we're telling the truth or not, because God, God's word, Paul's talking about, let him be a curse. He's calling down a curse on anybody teaching false truth. We need to be careful. I don't want God cursing my life because I'm teaching something I ought not be teaching. I don't want, I don't want to have... God's judgment on me for doing something against the Word of God. We need to be careful that we're following God and not our own brain. We must not allow a person's fame, position, or eloquence to cloud our judgment about the actual words that they're speaking. And I, I'm going to close with that thought this morning. There's a lot of slick people out there today. They've got million-dollar sets. Crystal pulpit lecterns that they talk from. They're worth $10,000 suits. They got all the light and smoke and everything you could want to have in a 10,000-capacity in a, in a auditorium filled with people, filled with the brim, with smiles on their faces, and we look at them and go, if they weren't telling the truth, how could they have drawn that many people? I can tell you, it's, it's pretty obvious to me. All you got to look at this parking lot this morning. Am I telling you the truth this morning? Are people hungry, starving to death, tearing down the door to get in here to get it? I guarantee you we could go down two blocks, turn right, go down a block and turn in that parking lot. And it's full this morning. And they ain't giving them no truth down there. They're teaching them to worship Mary, and she's just a sinner like me and you. Listen, we need to be careful. We need to be guardians of the truth. Amen. You and I, we ought to be guardians of God's truth. Amen. You'll know the truth, and what will it do? It'll set you free. Amen. Let's stand together. Amen. That's a good introduction to the book of Galatians. Amen. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep on moving through it, and hopefully, praise God, we'll we'll grow in our in our understanding of the Word of God. Amen. Let's we're gonna have a song of invitation. If God's working in your life, doing something in your life, and He's drawing you to make a decision this morning for Him. What number did I put down there, sister? What number? 153. 153? 163?
If God's leading you to make a decision in your life this morning, would you do it this morning? Don't don't hesitate. The time is short. We don't have a lot of time. If we're ever going to do anything to God, we need to make a decision to do it soon because we're going to run out of time. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the people. Lord, I pray you bless this invitation. Lord, if you're working in somebody's life, oh, the Spirit of God, I thought we were going to make a decision now. As we have an invitation, Lord, we just give you praise and glory for it. We thank you in Christ. Amen. Amen. Number 